Hi, Sarah. Hi there, Richard. Welcome to Coffee Talk with Benefits, a podcast brought to you by Seifert Shaw's Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Department. As your host, Richard Schwartz and I, Sarah Tuzlin, will interview a member of the Seifert's Employee Benefits and Executive Compensation Department or an outside expert in the employee benefits world. In each episode, we'll discuss interesting, tricky, and sometimes amusing issues that come across our desks all over a cup of coffee. The subject of our podcast today relates to one of the biggest items in the news over the last couple of weeks, the leaked Supreme Court draft opinion from Justice Samuel Alito proposing to overturn Roe v. Wade. So we've interrupted our scheduled podcast to bring you this special episode. If the draft opinion becomes law this summer and Roe v. Wade is indeed overruled, trigger laws that have been on the books in a number of states will go into effect, illegalizing abortion in those states. Several other states are also moving forward with legislation in anticipation of the Supreme Court's ruling that would do the same. With that said, clients are already asking us about what options they may have available to them to support and assist their employees if that happens. To help us understand the landscape in light of this news are our guests today, Seifarth Partners, Ben Conley and Diane Deigert. Hi, Diane. So what have we been hearing from our clients about the possible overturning of Roe v. Wade? Yeah, thanks. Uh, And thanks for having me on to discuss this important topic. A number of our clients actually have operations in states or employees located in states that have these so-called trigger laws on the books, which were laws that were put in place shortly after Roe versus Wade was passed in 1973 that will spring into being. They're triggered if Roe versus Wade gets overturned, which is what we're hearing may happen based on the leaked opinion. Other states are newly considering restrictions in light of that possible ruling. So, and that's on top of states like Texas and now Oklahoma, who have these kind of bounty style rewards for persons who successfully sue any individual who helps a woman who's receiving abortion services. So clients in these locations in particular have been looking at ways to make sure that their employees have equal access to benefits under their benefit plans. So they're reviewing their plan coverages for health services, such as abortion, as well as contraception, directly in those states. And if the services can't be performed where their employees live in their home state, they're looking at possibly providing travel-related expense reimbursement to a nearby state that does allow for treatment. So, Diane, it sounds like an employer could be in a situation where services that are provided under the terms of the health plan are not available to all covered participants, maybe depending on where they live. That's right. Exactly. So simply depending on where an employee's home is, some employees would have access to abortion-related services and or contraception, and others may not, depending on the laws of their home state. So that's really in particular why clients are looking at considering travel-related expenses to go to a state where that treatment or coverage is available to them. So, Diane, if an employer is located solely in a state that restricts or prohibits any abortion services, would that employer be able to cover abortion and related services under its group health plan? That's a really good question because we were just talking about our presuming employers that are in multiple states, right, and have the ability to move people around among states. But if you're just in one state that has very restrictive abortion services laws, It'll depend. It will depend on a number of factors. Is the state law civil that's restricting the abortion services or is it criminal? If it's civil, 
and your plan is self-funded, and a number of our large employer clients do have self-funded plans, then there is a decent argument that ERISA is going to preempt that state civil law with respect to what your plan can provide. So even in that state with the restrictive laws, a plan, arguably an ERISA health plan, could provide for these services, coverage for these services. On the other hand, if the plan's fully insured, ERISA would not necessarily preempt that state insurance law. State insurance laws are saved from ERISA preemption. And frankly, the insurance vendor, the insurance company who's providing that coverage in that state probably couldn't even write a policy that got approved in a state with with those kind of insurance laws. So that plan, that type of plan for that type of employer may not be able to provide this coverage that we're talking about. And then if it's a criminal law, similarly to the insurance law, ERISA does not preempt criminal laws. So there would also be an issue for the employer providing that plan coverage in that situation. So can a medical plan cover travel expenses? Yeah, it's a a really good question, Sarah. And I think the short answer is uh, yes, right? Uh, I mean, historically, employers have included a travel benefit in their medical plan in a variety of forms. So often you'll see an employer who uh, has a center for excellence where they want all hip replacement surgeries performed at a clinic in a certain state, and they will pay the cost for employees to fly to that state to receive that benefit. So what we're seeing right now is that a lot of employers are simply expanding that travel benefit to cover travel costs relating to receiving abortion services. Beyond that, employers are considering whether to make this an even more broad-based offering such that it's not just limited to travel costs relating to abortion services, but rather any travel costs to receive a medical service due to network limitations, provider limitations, state or local laws prohibiting receipt of that service within that state. And there are a couple different reasons why employers are taking that approach. I mean, one, we know that even beyond the issue of abortion services, another topic where we are seeing state regulation relates to gender identity related services, in particular for dependents, such that it is becoming increasingly likely that there may be some states where those types of services are prohibited. So if it is a more broad-based benefit, it could also offer a benefit to employees who find themselves in need of those services who reside in a state that restricts those services. The second reason why employers might structure this more broadly is that there are a lot of employers who simply don't want to be the story in this setting. This is a circumstance where the press coverage surrounding an employer's announcement of the expansion of their benefit can have consequences. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But what a lot of employers seem to be contemplating here is how do we respond to our employees' needs and requests without calling it to attention the fact that we have expanded our benefit to cover abortion services. So in that regard, we are seeing a lot of employers simply implement a broad-based travel benefit without restricting the parameters of, of how that is being used. So Ben, you're talking about a travel benefit offered through the group health plan. What about employees who aren't participating under the plan? Yeah, that's a really good question, Richard. Uh, So right now, what we're seeing predominantly is employers rolling this out within their medical plan because it's targeted, it's easy, and there's a playbook for that, right? Because you already have a third-party administrator who is accustomed to reimbursing costs for travel-related services. So it's just clicking the button with that TPA, and suddenly the benefit is in effect. And notwithstanding the fact that not all employees may be enrolled in that health plan, to the extent the employee is eligible, We're seeing employers package this with the messaging that, hey, look, our plan permits election changes and permits mid-year enrollment, 
when there is a significant coverage change. And there's some squishiness around what's significant, but it's reasonable to assume that employers could interpret that broadly enough to pick up this type of change. Beyond that, though, we certainly understand that this might be a benefit that employers want to offer more broadly within their workforce because you may have employees who can't afford the health insurance or employees who are part-time and aren't eligible for the health insurance. That's where it becomes a little bit more challenging. And the reason is that there are laws on the books today, uh, the Affordable Care Act and others, that effectively prohibit employers from offering standalone mini medical plans, right? So something that would be just one medical benefit without broad-based major medical could run afoul of these laws because, for instance, the ACA requires that any health plan cover a long list of preventive services. And if you just implement a reimbursement for travel for abortion services, you are not in compliance with that law. So the tricky thing about implementing this outside of your health plan is the question of how do you do so without running afoul of those rules? And while, as I noted, this is not broad-based yet, but we're seeing a few potential trends emerge there. Just to hit on those quickly, number one, telehealth is typically viewed by the Department of Labor as a health plan that would be subject to these restrictions. But within the pandemic, they've granted an exception in the interest of making sure people have access to medical services and have said through the public health emergency, you can offer telehealth more broadly within your workforce without running afoul of these rules. So we are seeing some employers contemplate whether they can expand their telehealth benefit to include access to doctors and then potentially the ability to prescribe abortifacient drugs that would be able to be mailed to participants in states who cannot otherwise receive abortion services. There's some limitations there though, right? Uh, Obviously, this is only during the public health emergency, so it's a short-term solution. And then second, as we see these trigger laws come onto the books, we suspect that many of them will shut down that avenue or attempt to shut down that avenue as well. The other topic we're seeing some people kick around is that there is also an exemption from those group health plan mandates at the federal level for so-called accepted benefits. And one of them applies to employee assistance programs or EAPs, which are quite commonly a broad-based benefit offered to your entire workforce. And while we don't need to get into it today, if you look through the Department of Labor's parameters surrounding what the EAP has to look like in order to gain this exception, all of those parameters would likely apply to a standalone travel reimbursement benefit. So we think there's also potentially an avenue to call this an EAP of sorts and to avoid those restrictions in that regard. So just to understand the tax consequences here, if a travel benefit is provided under a health plan, it's it's not taxable, correct? Right. That's pretty straightforward. If the travel expenses primarily relate to the provision of medical services, there's an exclusion under the tax code for those services. While uh, also more narrow, there's an exclusion for, in some circumstances, lodging and even meals. may not always apply in the context of abortion services because that's tied to receiving services in a hospital and there's some caps on how much you could even provide for on a tax-free basis. But yes, if it's under the health plan, at a minimum, mileage, airfare, et cetera, those types of travel costs should be able to be provided on a tax-free basis. Okay, got it. Well, what if an employer, though, decides to cover the travel costs outside of the benefit plan? What would the tax consequences be in that situation? Yeah, Sarah, really good question. And there it gets a little bit more complicated. Now, on the one hand, if you're reimbursing for travel for medical care, the tax code provides an exclusion. On the other hand, if you're saying that you're taking this outside of your health plan, uh, the question then is, well, what is it that you're reimbursing, right? Is it no longer medical care? There's also some thorny questions that arise in that context because in order to reimburse someone for these types of services on a tax-free basis, there's a substantiation requirement. And without getting too much into the weeds here, 
there's always some discomfort with seeking substantiation outside of the protections of HIPAA privacy, right? So HIPAA privacy only applies to health plans. If we're saying this is outside of the health plan, but we're seeking substantiation that you went to another state and received abortion services, there's some discomfort with that, you know, and some question about whether HIPAA privacy would or would not apply in that context. So I think it's, you know, for purposes of our podcast today, it's a little bit more complicated. There may be some avenues to provide tax-free reimbursement outside of the health plan, but it's not as open and shut of a case as when you were offering the service through your medical plan. Diane, we've heard about certain states that are considering the enactment of laws that would potentially criminalize out-of-state travel for the purposes of obtaining abortion-related services. What's going on in that regard? Yeah, I mean, currently, we're not aware of any states that are actually limiting or restricting travel out of that state for the purposes of receiving abortion services. But we know of at least one state, Mississippi, that is actually considering such a measure. They've talked about that. And as I mentioned earlier, ERISA does not preempt criminal laws. You know, and there's limited case law jurisprudence on the legality of what I would say is an extraterritorial criminal law. So a criminal law you're trying to enforce outside your state, outside the borders of your state because someone traveled to another state. The limited opinions we've seen on this type of law in the context of abortion services, which all predated Roe, prohibit the enforcement of this type of law. But of course, in the current environment, we just have to wait and see how the modern courts would rule on this issue. So, Diane, we're also hearing that on the federal side, legislation's been introduced that could potentially chill the employer response. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we did hear that Senator Marco Rubio introduced a bill on the Senate side called the No Tax Breaks for Radical Corporate Activism Act. And this actually gets to corporations, incentivizes corporations by taking away their tax deduction for expenses related to the the employee travel costs that otherwise they'd want to reimburse under their medical plans. And this came out directly after some of the country's largest companies announced that they were going to take this step and reimburse travel costs for employees to access abortion services in a different state if services in their state became illegal. We know that in order for this kind of act to pass, you know, a tax bill like this would pass under budget reconciliation, which really only requires a simple majority. The way Congress is configured now. It's unlikely to pass, much less to survive a Biden veto, which would require a supermajority. So pre-2024 passage of this type of federal legislation is unlikely. But again, that's just in the short term. So Diane and Ben, this is really interesting stuff that is changing and will continue to change and evolve right in front of our eyes over the coming weeks and months. It seems that the best advice we can give employers at this point is that they will need to be flexible. Sarah and I will have to have you both back as the legal landscape develops. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next time when we're back with our regularly scheduled programming for a conversation with SciFarth partner Liz Deckman about the do's and don'ts of SPD drafting. Thank you for listening to Coffee Talk with Benefits, brought to you by SciFarth Shaw. We invite you to subscribe and follow on your favorite podcasting platform. Learn more at coffeetalkwithbenefits.com. 